Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. So we are starting a brand new series tonight in the book of Proverbs, and we're calling it At Proverbs, God's Tweets. Because what the Proverbs essentially are, are short ethical sentences for the sake of superior mental action, which I think is what Twitter's supposed to be, right? Like short, wise sayings in 200 characters or less. Uh, Proverbs has the one up on Twitter in that, but in a sense, that's really kind of what it is. And so that's kind of what we're calling the series. Now, that's not a real handle. If you go, if you subscribe or follow at Proverbs, that's not have anything to do with us or the church. I didn't use it by permission. I just used it. So they, if that even exists, it might be awful. So I'm not endorsing that, but it's just the name of, uh, of our study. It's used without permission, but, uh, it is something that we will we'll, we'll gain from, we'll glean from as we go through this study. Um, do, do you ever have a friend who, uh, you know, they call you and you see their number and you answer the phone and you know that they just want something from you or they have something to tell you, but it takes them a very long time to get to the point, you know, and, and you kind of like want them to just tell you, state your business, you know, what do you want? But they feel like they have to ask about your family first. They have to, you know, give you a couple of things. And then, oh, oh yeah, by the way, while I got you on the phone, you know, the whole thing. I love it. And I have a few people in my life like this that, that feel safe enough with me that they can call, ask the question, and then hang up. Or they can call, impart the information, and then it's over. And I just so love that. And one of the things that I love about the book of Proverbs is that we don't have to guess what it is, or why it's here in the Bible. Because that is answered for us on the first page. In the first verse, the very first sentence tells us what it is and why it's here. And I'm so thankful for that. If you would look with me, I want for our text just to read the first eight verses um, by way of introduction and setup as we go, and we're going to discover really quickly why this is here and what is our objective in studying. It tells us in verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And Here it is. I love it. Please, state your business. Say, state your business. Okay, I will. Thank you. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to interpret. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, which is righteousness, and judgment, that's discretion and discernment, and equity, that's fairness or what's equal. To give subtlety to the simple. The simple, when you read that in the King James, it's politically correct for stupid. So to help people that are stupid to become a little wiser. And to the young man, knowledge and discretion, or to give advice to those that are young. He says, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb, a sentence of wisdom, and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark sayings, or their parables, their hidden meanings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, But fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And then the call, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. Now, the son in this passage is not Solomon's son, but rather the spirit of God moving upon Solomon to write to the children that would include you and I. We are the intended audience behind the verses that are contained in the book of Proverbs. The question is, who is the father? Because really, spiritually, it's not Solomon. And technically, it probably isn't God because he includes the mother and there really is no motherly counterpart to God. And so that kind of is a question that we have at the onset is, who is the father? Which leads me to the title of tonight's message. You can see it. It's going up. Who's your daddy? And that is the question that we want to ask and answer at the paramount place of launching into this study on Proverbs. I had a a friend growing up. He was my best friend throughout my middle school years. His name was Ricky Dixon. And Ricky was witty and he was extremely smart. And one of the things that I loved about him is that he was a little bit smarter than his parents. He had really young parents, and they were kind of cool, and they were, uh, they were fun. I really, I really liked his parents, but he would outsmart them often, and he was just quick-witted, and he, they would say something, and he would find a flaw in their order or their directive or something, and he wouldn't hold it back, you know? So he would, he would say it when they would say something that didn't make sense or ask him to do something that, you know, he would say it, and I remember his father. His father was a big man, real soft-spoken, but strong. And his father would look at him and say, are you wise? And that would end the discussion. He was smarter than his parents. He wasn't stronger than his parents, you know. And so that would end the, the discussion. But I always remember Mr. Dixon asking his son, are you wise? And essentially, what he was asking his son is what our parents said to us, are you a wise guy? But this whole idea of wisdom, which Solomon tells us right here is the the purpose and the intent behind this book, this idea or this concept of wisdom is such a mystery, isn't it? I mean, we use the word and we kind of have a framework of understanding, but it's kind of a, a, a tough question if you really want to try to define it. You know, often we think, when we think of wisdom, we think of like the sages of ancient Greece, right? With their bald heads and their long white beards and their flowing robes. And they're sitting around and contemplating the meaning of life, trying to outwit each other and and really kind of define and attain wisdom all at once. You know, it's funny, you know, we, we kind of looked up to those people when we were in college, but you get a little older and you realize that all they were were like the hippie potheads of their day. They were sitting around, and they were just trying to figure out life, you know, um, trying to define it, trying to explain what it was, you know. Aristotle defined wisdom as understanding the causes. Like, he tried to simplify it into that. He's just trying to understand the reason why things happen. I guess he's touching something, but it's very fragmented, very partial. Uh, Modern philosopher Neil Burton tried to define wisdom this way. He said, it's not a kind of knowledge, but rather it's a way of seeing. 
And I like that. He's a little bit closer, I think, than Aristotle, or at least more complete. He's saying that, that it's a way of navigating. That's why kind of the owl is the symbol in the animal kingdom of wisdom. Because the owl, although not very intelligent, because intelligence isn't necessary for wisdom, he's not intelligent, but yet he's able to think thrive in and navigate through darkness so he can see where there isn't clarity of sight and i like that because that kind of is what wisdom does when you can't see clearly it's the ability to understand what's going on in spite of it a couple of years ago there was a team that was led by uh university of southern california san diego geriatric psychiatrist his name was dilip jesty and, and what he saw in his observation of life was what seemed to be a connection between a person's level of wisdom and their happiness. And he saw that there was a relation, that the more wise a person seemed to be, the more happy that they seemed to be. And so what he wanted to do is that he wanted to scientifically define and also come up with a system of measurement for wisdom for the purpose of seeing if it's possible to increase or to grow a person's wisdom. But he wanted to do it scientifically, not just philosophically. So here's what him and his team did, is that they studied 31 societies, cultures from all different times, and he looked at their definition and their concept of what wisdom was. Then he studied 27 articles from modern philosophers and thinkers and researchers, and he looked at what they had to say. And then he compared all of the holy writings and all of the different things that religion had to say about wisdom was. And then he put all of that together and he looked for a common denominator or a commonality in order to just lay out a clear definition of what exactly is wisdom. And what he came up with was not a definition, but rather that when it comes to wisdom, modern science, philosophy, and religion all point to six key qualities that basically measure what wisdom are. And here's what they are. Number one is good judgment in social situations. Now, I have to just confess right off the bat, if that was the only marker, I fail. I am the fool through and through. This is probably the weakest thing. I'm wearing white pants after Labor Day. It's over. I'm done. You know, I just, I don't understand, and this is my weakness, how to interpret and adjust my behavior to the setting that I'm in. Some people are really gifted at it. Thankfully, I have two kids of my five and a wife that are really good at this, and so they help me, you know? And and sometimes wisdom isn't having the answers. It's knowing who to ask, right? But my wife let me out of the house like this, so I don't really know how good she's doing either. But that's, that's number one. Number two is the ability to control your emotions. You, know, you can measure your wisdom based upon how you are when you're in your car in traffic. Or if you're a male, how you are in the mall on Black Friday or school shopping, how you're acting uh, in that instance. Or, or if you're a woman, you can measure it based upon what you put on Facebook or what you comment on, you know, how you control your emotions is a marker of how wise you are. Uh, A third is um, how uh, if you possess pro-social qualities of empathy, compassion, altruism, another confession, I didn't know what that word meant and I had to look it up. 
And it means selfless concern for the well-being of others. Not good at it either. So I didn't know what it meant, and I'm not good at it, but that, that's one of them. And then finally, fairness. To have, to have those qualities intrinsically a part of your personality is a marker or a measure of how wise you are. Number four is self-awareness concerning your actions and your motives. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you respond the way that you respond? What makes you tick? And your level of understanding in those things is a marker of how wise you are. Why why do I go crazy inside when I walk in my house and it looks like there are 10,000 shoes like confetti that have been strewn about the first room? Why do I react this way? To know that is a measurement of wisdom. Also, uh, fifthly, is humility of mind. And what that simply means is acknowledging the ability to acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know. So the ability to know what you don't know and to be okay with that, that's actually a marker of wisdom. And then finally, number six, is decisiveness or the speed at which and the confidence with which you make decisions. And those six things he found are measurements that mark the level of wisdom in a human life. Now, the conclusion of his study, remember, the purpose was to ask the question, can we increase our level of wisdom, or are we stuck with where we are? And his conclusion was this. Though he figured out how to define and measure it, he said someday science might be able to help us increase our wisdom, but not yet. (laughs) I think he was actually right about that. Because we live in a society where we have more mind power than we've ever had in the history of the world, but yet we're more miserable than we ever were. We have more knowledge, but probably less wisdom than at any time. And the reason why he came to the conclusion that he did is because true wisdom cannot come from science. There is not a scientific answer or way that you can increase your wisdom. It doesn't come from science, and wisdom cannot be learned in the classroom. Wisdom comes from God. And the good news is that with God, wisdom can be increased. And the way that we know that is because he says so right here in the introduction to this book. Look again what God says in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. He says to give subtlety to the simple. That means that you can increase even if you're stupid. To the young man, knowledge and discretion for a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. God says it is possible for you and I to grow in wisdom, to become more wise. Now, science, philosophy, secular, I guess secular religion, is that actually a thing? (laughs) Religions of the world, all of those things aside, what is the biblical definition of wisdom? If we were to just say, you know, take the biblical meaning of it, what is it? And here's what it is. The wisdom is the clear understanding of a thing that leads to proper action and pleasant outcomes. I'm going to say it again. Clear understanding of a thing that leads to proper actions or decisions that has pleasant outcomes. Now, the thing that makes wisdom desirable, the reason we want it, is because we want 
the pleasant outcomes, right? And so what that means is that the key factor that separates wisdom from knowledge or intelligence or understanding, the thing that separates it is the action. Because outcomes are the byproduct of actions. And so wisdom always has an action associated with it. I think that's why it's called proverbs. Because verbs are action words. It's not called pronouns, which is just things that we know. It's not knowledge. It's actions. And so the actions are what equate into the wisdom. That's what wisdom is. Now, the quality of possessing wisdom, listen to this, is the ingrained, internal, instinctual lifestyle of right actions that's rooted in right understanding. And so to possess wisdom for you and I, it isn't something that we learn and know but rather it's something that becomes a part of our being so that the things that we do become instinctually wise and thus the actions are right and the outcomes are pleasant. And so it's the quality of possessing wisdom. Now I want to give you three scriptures to help understand how, what it is and how it works. The first is Colossians chapter 2. Verses 2 and 3. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says concerning wisdom to one of the churches. He's praying for them, and he says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, I know that's a big sentence, but that's not what I wanted to show you. I wanted to show you the next one. Verse 3. It says, in whom, that's Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, the source of wisdom can't be rooted in science because science isn't where wisdom comes from. It can't be found in a book because a book isn't where it's found. Wisdom is encapsulated in a person, and that person is Christ. He is true wisdom, and thus he's the source of true wisdom because that's who is wisdom? It is him. The second verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. And there, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, but unto them which are called. And that's you and I. We're called by God. We belong to him. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, listen, and the wisdom of God. In other words, he is wisdom in his person and he is wisdom to us when we're in relationship with him. In other words, wisdom comes when we're connected to the person who is wisdom and when we're receiving from him who he is. That's how wisdom is imparted to us. Now, there's a third factor in this concept of wisdom and its growth or our transfer, the transference of it to us. And that verse is Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And I just want you to listen to this because it's very, very important if we want to grow in wisdom. He says, Behold, Moses speaking to the people, I have taught you statutes and judgments concepts and truths by the way that's exactly what proverbs is it's statutes principles and truths even as the lord my god commanded me watch this that you should do so guys say that say do so that you should do so in the land whether you go to possess it keep therefore and do them say do them 
For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who has God so near unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Listen, part of this transfer of wisdom from the source to the receiver, from the God who is and you and I who are connected to him is the element of obedience. It's as we do the things that he says that we grow in wisdom. And so wisdom, listen carefully, wisdom comes from God, but it's imparted to us as a result of our obedience to his ways. There's a slide for that in case you wanted to look at it just a little bit longer. It comes from God, but it's imparted as a result of our obedience uh, to him. Now we're told in the very first verse, Proverbs chapter one, verse one, it tells us that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, that he is the one who wrote this book or penned it down or it came through him that these things are now transferred to us. And the question I want to answer at this moment is what is it that qualified Solomon to be the author of the crown jewel of wisdom literature? What is it that made him competent and able to do it? And the answer is actually found in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're told there that Solomon was the son of David. He's the second king of the dynasty of David in Israel. David was the gold. His son Solomon is now raised up to be king. He's probably around 16 years old. And if you could just imagine, my son is 16. And, and like, it's like you, you can't run a nation at 16. So here he is, he's 16 years old, but he's tasked, he's handed the scepter, he's wearing the crown, his voice hasn't even changed yet, and he finds himself in this position completely impotent, not knowing how to handle himself. And so here's what happens. It says this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says that in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I will give you. Now that's a great wouldn't you love that? God just appears to you and he's like, hey, can I do something for you? I, I got a moment. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so he comes to Solomon. And so Solomon said this, and I love it. He said, you have showed unto your servant, David, my father, great mercy. According as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have kept for him this great kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, here's the first thing that Solomon does as he realizes the point of life and what's going on in front of him is that he acknowledges that he is in the place that he is because God put him there. I am a 16 year old king because you made me a 16 year old king. That's the position that I'm in right now. And so he recognizes where he is. Now he brings to God the problem with that. Verse seven. He says, and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead or in place of David, my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. 
And your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Here's the problem that Solomon has. He says, I'm in a position that you have called me into, and I don't know how. I'm in a position that you have ordained, but I don't know how. I am a king, but I don't know how to be a king. That's my problem. I'm a dad, but I don't know how to be a dad. I am a provider. God, you made me a provider, but I don't know how to be a provider. God, you have made me a Christian. You've put the name of your son Jesus on me, but I don't know how to be a Christian in the world that I'm in. I am a homeschool parent. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how to be a homeschool parent. He acknowledges that the position that he's in is a position that he's been placed in by God. He doesn't say, because I don't know how, therefore it must not be God. That's what probably I would tend to do. Well, I don't know how to do this. This must not be God's call on my life, not Solomon. He says, you've put a crown on my head. I'm in this position, but I don't know how to be in this place. And it is. And here's my issue with that God is that as a 16 year old child, I am in a position where I have to understand the mentality behind the actions of those that are both on the conservative side of politics and those that are on the liberal side of politics. I have to understand where rich people are coming from and I have to understand where poor people are coming from. I have to understand people that have issues that I don't understand. I have to understand the environmentalist. I have to understand the educators. I have to understand the sick. I have to understand people that are taking care of sick people. There is so much that I have to understand, and I don't know how to do it. I'm going to have to serve people that don't think like me, maybe people that don't believe like me, people that are going through issues that I can see clearly, but they can't see clearly. I'm going to have to serve people that have what they think is a medical problem, but it's actually a demon problem. And I'm going to have to serve people that have a demon problem and they think they only have a medical problem. I'm going to have to understand those people. I'm going to have to lead people that are older than me, smarter than me, more experienced and more informed than me. I'm 16 years old. I'm the king. I'm going to have to know how to motivate the lazy, inspire the defeated, educate the simple-minded. And in a few days, two girls are going to fight over a living doll and I'm going to have to figure out who is the mother without a DNA test and I don't know how to do it all of that is encapsulated in Solomon's response to the position that he's in and so here's what he asks from God here's the ask in verse 9 he says give therefore your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great of people. Essentially, do you know what Solomon asks for? He asks for, first of all, good judgment in social situations. He asks for empathy and compassion and altruism and fairness in his heart as he rules a people that's greater than he is. He asks for humility, or he asks in humility of mind, recognizing that he doesn't know how to do most of the things that he's going to be called upon to do. And he asks God for a spirit of decisiveness. It's amazing is that Solomon didn't actually ask for wisdom. 
He asked for all of the things that define and measure what wisdom is, except for one. Do you know what he didn't ask for? He didn't ask for self-awareness of his own emotions and actions. And isn't it amazing that that's the area where he fell? (laughs) You get what you ask for, right? (laughs) You know, and so he asks God for all of these things. Now watch God's response in verse 10. It says that the speech pleased the Lord, Solomon had asked this thing, and God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, neither riches for yourself, nor asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, here's the answer, I have done according to your words. Lo, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like you before you, neither shall there be after you any like unto you." That's amazing. God says, I have done it, and I have done it in a way that will be matchless from then until now and from now until forever. Now, one more verse I want to share with you from this chapter. It's verse 28. After Solomon makes the decision about the baby, which I'm not going to get into right now, it says this, concluding. It says that all Israel heard the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared or respected the king, watch, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. That's the only time in the whole chapter that the word wisdom is used, is after the people saw the outcome in Solomon's life of what God had placed in. But going back to the question of why does Solomon get to write Proverbs, the answer is because God made him the wisest man that will ever live. There will never be another human being, philosopher, scientist, or theologian that can match the wisdom that Solomon possessed and thus God uniquely qualifies him to be the author of this book that we're reading right here this book of Proverbs now the purpose of our quest the reason why we're doing this is because we want to grow in wisdom Uh, do you want to grow in wisdom If you don't, then just don't come back on Wednesday nights and go on with your life, you know. But the reason why we're doing this is because we want to grow in wisdom. We want the outcomes of God's wisdom in our life. And so what I want to give to you now as we wind down our study is I want to give to you a proposition. And then I want to ask you a question. And then I just want to make a quick application. Here's the proposition. The proposition is this. Is that every single one of us both possesses and obtains wisdom but all wisdoms are not god's wisdom not all wisdom is god's wisdom and i can show you that from the bible because the bible tells us in the new testament book of first corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 it tells us that there is a wisdom that's called the world's wisdom There is a wisdom that finds its source in the world its systems and its ways And the flaw with the world's wisdom is that it's short-sighted, meaning it can't see very far into the distant future. Its effects are temporary, and its principles are unreliable. So it's a wisdom, but it's a flawed wisdom because it's incomplete. There's a second type of wisdom that Paul also talks about in the, in the same segment of Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. That wisdom, this one's our favorite, this is my wisdom. Not just the world, my wisdom. You know what my wisdom is? It's the wisdom that originates with me. Anybody in here ever have a really good idea? You thought was a really good idea? 
You know, we all have. That's our favorite wisdom. We want to rely upon what comes out of ourself. And Paul struggled with this. That's what that verse is all about. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or wisdom, meaning the wisdom that comes from me. He calls it man's wisdom in verse 4 of the same chapter. So there's the world's wisdom. There's man's wisdom. There's a third wisdom. It's found in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 13. And I just want to read to you uh, this verse so that you get the idea and the context behind it. It says says this. Am I in the right place? James 3, verse 13. Yes, it says this. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, then glory not and don't lie against the truth. For this wisdom, okay, different kind of wisdom. Here it is. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. The third type of wisdom is the wisdom that comes from Satan himself. And certainly there is a wisdom that comes right out of the pit of hell. But that wisdom is selfish, it's deceptive, and it is destructive. And so the three false wisdoms that we see in the Bible are the world's wisdom, man's wisdom, which is impotent. That's why Paul didn't want to rely on his own wisdom because he realized there was no power in it. And then the devil's wisdom, which is you know, selfish, deceptive, and destruction. Now, everyone, every human being follows some wisdom. But which one? And how do you know which wisdom you're following? Well, Jesus gives the answer. Jesus, the prince of wisdom, the source of wisdom, answers the question of which wisdom. How can we discern which wisdom we're following? It's Luke chapter 7, verse 35. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says. He says that wisdom is justified of all her children, or wisdom is justified by her children. What that means is this, is that you can tell by looking at your life and what is coming out of your life, whose wisdom is raising you. Let me say it another way. You show me your life, I'll show you the wisdom that you're following. Because what comes out of you, the outcomes, are going to be determined by your actions, which are governed by your wisdom, what it is that you're following. And so that's the premise. We all have wisdom, but not all wisdom is God's wisdom. Here's the question that I want to ask you tonight. The question is, what does the condition of your life right now say about which wisdom is raising you? Are you following the world's wisdom? You make decisions, but you find that they were short-sighted decisions. They didn't turn out to be good decisions in the long run. Are you following your own wisdom? Your own wisdom is marked by a sense of impotence. I'm doing things, but there's no power in my life. There's no power in the decisions and the actions that I'm making. Or is your wisdom the devil's wisdom? And you can tell that because there's a spirit of bitterness in your heart. You're constantly envying others. There's strife and discontent. You're self-reliant and you're resistant to the things of God. So what markers in your life reveal what parent you're following? Now listen. If you're following God's wisdom, that's also going to look like something. And as you read Proverbs 1 
through 9, chapters 1 through 9, which I hope that you'll do this week. Just read Proverbs 1 through 9. What Solomon, by the Spirit of God, is going to tell you and I is that if we're following God's wisdom, then that is going to produce certain things in my life. It's going to be evidenced in my life that I'm following God's wisdom because things are going to happen. And here's what they are. Quickly, number one is that you're going to have good discretion for safety and self-leadership. That doesn't mean you're going to be independent, but it means that you're just going to have good judgment and you're going to be able to lead yourself. You're not going to fall for the schemes of man. You're going to sit in a doctor's office across from a white coat and you're not just going to buy everything that's being told to you because you're intimidated by a white coat. Or you're going to sit in an admissions office and think, well, because this university has a, has a, a historical record for being presidential or you know, impactful, that that means that I'm necessarily going to get, you're going to understand, you're going to see right through it. Number two is that you're going to be able to learn from everyone. You're not going to be intimidated by people that are better than you at what you do or people that are different from you that you have a, a, a general resistance to. You're going to be able to bump into other people's anointings and learn from people even if they have a different opinion than you. A third thing is that your paths in your life are going to be clear and you're going to be able to move with confidence and decisiveness. You're going to move with confidence and security when you're making your decisions. Number four is that you're going to grow in prosperity. That's a promise that's given to you if you're following the wisdom of God. That doesn't mean that the needle is going to move upward every day, but the general trajectory of your life is that you're going to be coming more prosperous in your spirit, in your mind, and in your circumstances, in your situations. Number five, there's going to be a general sense of pleasantness and peace in your life. All the paths it says in the proverb here, it says that all of his, her ways, wisdom's ways, are pleasantness and peace. That doesn't mean that you're going to have it easy. It means that you're going to go through crazy, but there's going to be a pleasantness in it and a peace that accompanies it. Nextly, because I don't know what number I'm on, that there's going to be a general sense of confidence in who you are, where you are, where you're going, and why you're here, because God's wisdom provides that. Next, there's going to be a progressive promotion in your life steady growth in every area it's what the bible calls the favor of god the favor of god is going to be on your life and then finally there's going to be traction your movements are going to count for something you're not going to do something and then feel like it's one step forward and two steps back there's going to be accuracy and intentionality behind what you do and you're actually going to go somewhere because of it and so as we consider these things, I want to ask you this question. Here's the question. Who's your daddy? In other words, what does your life say about your parental wisdom? What wisdom are you following? Are you following the world's wisdom, your own wisdom, the devil's wisdom, or are you following God's wisdom? And the evidence and answer will play out in the type of life that you actually live. Finally, I want to give you the application of these things. If wisdom is not learned in a classroom, if wisdom is ingrained, instinctual, and internal, then how does it happen that we grow in wisdom? What's the how behind this process of growing in wisdom? 
How can we obtain it? The answer is this. It begins in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Listen, it says this. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge is the foundation or the building blocks of what becomes wisdom. Later on, the proverb will say repeatedly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the foundation where it begins is in a relationship with God. The fear of God is a reverence, respect in relationship with God for the sake of submission and discipleship. And so I am coming to him and I'm in a right relationship with him. Therefore, I'm able to walk with him and receive from him. And if that isn't right, if my relationship with God isn't right, then there's no need to proceed. Because without walking first in a fear of him, revering who he is and his ways in relationship, I cannot grow in wisdom. I have to be uh, willing to receive it from the source. And here's, here's the second thing. If we want to obtain wisdom, the answer is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It's a famous verse. You'll know it. Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do you see that? In other words, lean your ladder on the Lord. Don't lean your ladder on yourself. Here's what that means. It means that you are coming to an acknowledgement in yourself that if God says that this is the way a circumstance or a situation is to be handled, then that is the way I'm positioning my life to handle it. Regardless of how my intellect screams against that, I'm choosing that I'm going to trust his way over my ways for outcomes. That's what God says that we're supposed to do. So we are in relationship with him, and now we're leaning our ladder. We're trusting in him that his ways are higher than I ways. And then here's number three, if we want to grow in wisdom, is that we have got to ask God for wisdom. It's James chapter 1, verse 5. It's the last scripture for our study tonight. Notice what James says, James chapter 1, verse 5. Listen. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, anyone here tonight feel like they lack wisdom? I feel like I lack wisdom. Then let him ask of God that gives, not sells, not makes you earn. He gives to all men liberally, freely, abundantly, and he upbraideth not or rebukes not. And listen, and it shall be given. That's an amazing promise. Oh, but there's a condition. Verse 6, hate conditions. But let him ask in faith, faith is trust, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, do you know what those two verses make me want to do? They make me want to throw my Bible behind me and walk away and say, well, that settles that. It ain't happening. You know why? Because I am the most double-minded person in this room. I will go to contest with you on that. I second-guess every single decision I make. I second-guess the prayers that I pray. I pray things, and then the next day I say, God, remember what I prayed yesterday? Forget it. I am the double-minded man to the epitome and to the core. 
And for, listen, but listen, for the longest time, for the longest time, that took away my hope in thinking that I could ask and expect that God was going to answer. But here's the good news, okay? Is that even if you are an indecisive person like me, okay, because I need wisdom to be decisive and I need to be decisive to not be double-minded and not be double-minded again. Ha! You know, here's what it means. Listen, here's double-mindedness. If I'm leaning my ladder on the Lord, then he is going to tell me what to do in a circumstance and in a situation. So to be single-minded means that I have set my mind that I'm going to handle things to the best of my ability in the way that God says to handle them. So here's how it works. When you ask God for wisdom, and I hope that you will, I hope before you leave this building tonight, you'll ask God for wisdom. God is not going to flick a light switch. I I know that's bad news because I wish he would. I wish I could pray that prayer, open my eyes and be Gandalf. You know, just be the wisest one, Yoda. You know, I wish it worked that way. No, no, no. God does not give you a light switch. God gives you an opportunity. So you say, God, give me wisdom. And then here's what God does. God gives you his word. His word says that a soft answer turns away wrath. So God will arrange an argument You'll go home and your wife or your husband or you'll go to work. He'll arrange an argument. And now you have a choice. You can either pounce or you can pause. You can either go, I'm going to, you know, or you can step back. God says that a soft answer turns away wrath. My wisdom wants to tear this person in half. But God's wisdom says, blessed are the peacemakers. I better pause and not pounce. You might have a situation with your kids. And the Bible says that the rod of correction will drive foolishness out of the heart of a child. And so your kids are rising up. Well, now you have a choice. God has arranged the opportunity. Now you make a decision. Well, the Bible says punish, but my flesh says pacify because I just want this over. I don't want to have to deal with this. And so I can either deal with it or I can pacify them, I have a choice to make. You might come into some extra money. You get a bonus at work, you do something, you find something, whatever. God says, ah, he's, he's, you said, Lord, wisdom, give me wisdom. He says, here's some money. He says, honor the Lord with your increase. Give to him from the first fruits. You have a choice to make now. The choice is, do I include God in this unexpected money? Or... Do I indulge and just say, well, I got 300. It costs 300. God understands. He provided. See, what happens is we pray for wisdom. God gives us an opportunity. So we come into a situation where we can choose whether we're going to do it God's way or our way. And listen, when we choose to do it God's way, even if it doesn't make sense, he makes it work. The serpent on the pole, right? Look at it. You'll be healed. That doesn't make sense. He makes it work. Then we enjoy the outcome and we grow in wisdom. Do you understand? So here's here's the great news. Is that to be single-minded means that I set myself in such a way that I am going to, to the best of my ability, handle things the way God says to handle things.
and that's going to be the position of my life. That person, even if they're indecisive, even if they waffle in some areas of their life, that person is going to grow in wisdom because they have put their trust in the Lord. They've leaned their ladder upon him and not upon themselves. The double-minded person, they're the person that says, well, maybe I'll trust God. Maybe I'll handle it myself. I'll decide when the situation comes. And when it comes to what I do with my hands, well, I'm not too good at providing, so I'm going to trust God and do what he says. But when it comes to what I do with my eyes, well, that's kind of up to me. Those are mine. That's my decision. Hmm. Well, I'm not real good at managing marriage. So when it comes to marriage, I'll do what God says because I need all the help that I can get. But money? I'm good with money. I know money. I don't need to pray about that. I don't need to do what God says. I understand the system. God's doing his thing out there. That's double-mindedness. Single-mindedness is, God, if you said this is how it's done, then that's the way I want to do it. God looks at that and he says, wisdom. That's wisdom because you're going to see the outcome of wisdom's children. Wisdom is justified of all her children. Ask yourself honestly tonight, who's your daddy? What wisdom have you been following? There is absolutely a connection between wisdom and happiness. And over the course of the series, we're going to look at what God says about how to handle things. He's going to give us principles. He's going to give us ways we make the decision, and the outcome will either be wisdom or frustration. We ask for wisdom, he gives an opportunity. Now, the way that we're going to do this, we're not going to go verse by verse through the book of Proverbs because you'll get 17 sermons in one night. <laughs> you'll get debt, you'll get marriage, you'll get how do I deal with my boss, what do I do about, you know, we're not going to do it. We're going to take it by topic, and we're going to look at what God says about things. Things like, what kind of people should I surround myself with? How do my words impact what's going on around me? How do I handle marriage and parenting? What do I do in industry or making a living or in business? How do I deal with relational conflicts in my home? All these kind of things. We're going to take it piece by piece, probably 9 to 14 weeks, something like that. Won't go on forever and ever because it could. Every verse could be a sermon, you know. Um, but we'll look forward to it. But please, at the onset, would you do this? Would you commit to honestly asking, like Solomon did? He said, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe in in a position of your life where you're in right now, you just need to say to God, God, I am this, but I don't know how. I don't know how. And Lord, I'm asking you that you would reveal to me the ways that I've been trusting in and that you, Lord, would give me this wisdom and teach me to trust in you with all of my heart that I might know what it means to follow your ways and to walk in your wisdom. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.